back into the book of Romans. We're going through Romans. We're in chapter 4. Today we're going to cover a few verses. And to get, a, get our minds thinking here, that is a photo of, at least it was at one time, the official U.S. Army PT uniform. PT stands for physical training. PT, I was not in the Army, so, but um, this is actually official. I think they've changed the colors to a black one. But one of my very good friends from high school named Rob, uh, he went right into the Army when we graduated. I came up here to Western, he went into the Army, and, um, and he still is in the Army, actually, coming up on almost 30 years. So he's just going to town, but... Um, but when he got through his training and his basic, basic training, all this, he wound up at Fort Lewis in the Tacoma area, which was just near where we grew up in Puyallup. So he was stationed there. I was going to Western, and I was coming down to visit my family for a weekend in Puyallup. And one of the things we liked to do together was play pickup basketball. So he said, hey, there's some amazing gyms on the base uh, why don't you come with me? And I was like, well, I don't know. Can I go in there? And he said, well, what we'll do is we'll put you in the PT uniform. And then you don't have to show any military ID because you're considered in uniform and you come play basketball. And I'm like, all right, whatever. So I get in. He gives me his gray. I think the shorts were gray at that time too. Not, so I was in the gray shorts with that gray shirt that says Army. He was in his normal basketball clothes. He flashes ID. They looked at me. They're like, Whew. So we go, we play basketball, it's a beautiful gym, I don't remember any details of that, but then afterwards, we're just kind of chilling on the bleachers with some of the guys we played with, and they were asking him, oh, where did you do your basic training? And he told them, what, what's your new job assignment? And he told them, they looked at me, what about you? And I was like, like sweating, well, you know, I went to Fort, and, uh, you know, I, I run around with guns and shoot people, right, it's the army, right? I was quickly drowning, like, I don't know how to answer these questions. And finally, they're like, you're not really in the army, are you? I was like, no, no, I'm not. I just wanted to play basketball. And they, they say to my friend Rob, you know you can bring a guest, don't you? <laughs> you just sign them in, you know? It's like, oh, we don't have to go through the whole charade and me pretending and being nervous. You just, you just bring a guest. So, so that was my uh, only brush with the U.S. Army, but... I tell that story because it kind of gets us thinking about today is a lot of times we think it's the external that gets you in. I was wearing the external army uniform, at least the PT army. I had the outward appearance of being in the army, but I really wasn't, right? I didn't sign my name on that line. I didn't go and make that commitment. I didn't give them four years of my life. I didn't say I'll go into harm's way. I didn't, I didn't say any of that. I just had the external on. And it, it, got, it could allow me to play some basketball. But it wasn't the real thing. I wasn't really in the army. I wasn't really making those commitments. And that's often how we view coming to God. We think it's the external acts that bring God's blessing. It's the external religious steps we might take. And that's how we find favor with God. We have the, the external things we do. Well, I attended a gathering. I wore a cross. I was dedicated as a child. And my parents had me baptized as I was a child. And so I've, I've checked off some boxes. I have the external markings. 
And so therefore, I'm in God's favor and I receive God's blessing. And we're going to see that the external is not how we get in. Our main point today is that everyone can receive God's blessing by faith alone. It's internal. It's a matter of the heart. And when your heart's changed, we're going to see there are external things that go with it. But what a lot of times happens is the external replaces or we think that's enough. And I do a few things and then I am in God's favor or God owes me. And so we're going to see it's actually the other way. It's internal. It's faith. It's a matter of the heart. Everyone can receive God's blessing by faith alone. So this whole book, Romans, is about the gospel. It's about the power of God for the gospel. That's what we're trusting in. So I want to make sure we see that first, uh, that we get the gospel reviewed here. So the, the highlight passage that we've covered so far is in Romans 3. And we'll look at verses 22 to 25. You just should highlight and circle. This captures, I guess I'm starting this in verse 21. Verse 21 to 25, this captures the heartbeat of the gospel in a small sentence. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Hmm. Okay, good. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. We'll just stop there. That is the gospel story, right? That there is a, a way for us to believe apart from the law. That we trust in what Jesus has done. It's for anyone. There's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And we are all, I love verse 24, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Redemption that he sets us free. And this is who God put forward as a propitiation. That's a sacrifice to satisfy the wrath of God. He shed his blood and it's to be received by faith. So that's the heartbeat of the gospel. It's, we're trusting in everything that God says. We're trusting in all that Jesus has done on the cross. We receive salvation as a gift, not as something we work towards. So let's jump in. I want to chat. We're in chapter 4. Our focus today is verses 9 through 12, but it, I'm going to read 1 through 8 just to get us back in the flow to kind of catch this argument So Paul's laid out the gospel, and you can almost hear the question behind the question. Well, that's not how it works. What about about Father Abraham? What about Abraham? He did everything God said, and so he gets God's blessing by being faithful, by doing works. And Paul's saying, no, 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 even Abraham, our great father, he also was justified by faith. That's what we saw last week. So in in Romans 4.1, it says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham? Our forefather according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. There's the key. He believed God's word. 
Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So it's not that we do some things and God pays us. It's that we trust God and it's a gift. And so then he switches from Abraham, the faith of Abraham, to King David. He says, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So this is where we saw last week. He was setting up that Abraham, the forefather of the Jewish nation, they're saying, no, he wasn't blessed by God because of what he did. He was blessed by God by simply believing his word. And so he says, and the blessing of God is forgiveness, right? So he said, how blessed to know that you'd stand before God and he said, all that's paid for. Your sins are covered. I'm not going to hold it against you. So that's where we were last week. And so this week, we're going to see this point here that everyone can receive God's blessing by faith alone. It opens it up. Well, who is it for? It's for everyone. So let's focus in on verses 9 to 12 and uh, really dial in what we're looking at here. He says, is this blessing then only for the circumcised? And so you need to understand, we'll get to why that's important. But it's really talking about people who are ethnically Jewish following the Jewish commands. He's saying, is it just for them or also for the uncircumcised? Everyone else. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. All right, so here we go. The first thing I want to just understand, what is the problem? We've been imagining all along that Paul is dialoguing with another person or in some kind of a back and forth argument where he's posing the question and then answering it or posing the challenge. And so we need to understand what the problem was. And so this whole story with Abraham is that God selected him way, 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 way back in Genesis. He just picked him, said, you're the guy. I'm going to bless the whole world through your offspring. That was, that was how God picked Abraham. He said, I'm going to make you a blessing and I'm going to bless you. And at that time, Abraham had no kids. He was 75 years old. And then years later, God came to him again. And said, this, we saw this in Genesis 15. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation. If you can count the stars, that's how many kids, that's how much offspring you have. And Abraham said, I don't have any kids. I got zero. How am I supposed to be a great nation when I'm a no nation? And God says, I'm going to give you, you're not going to be able to count your descendants. And that's when he believed God. And God said, that's right. You believed me when it didn't make sense. You believed me when you've been barren your whole life. You believed me through all these things. And so uh, that was his journey. 
So he's still waiting. He's 75, he's, he's 85, and he's not having any kids. His wife's about 10 years younger. Finally, when he's 99, guy comes to him and says, you're going to have this kid. And he's going, okay, this is getting less and less likely. You don't see many 90-year-olds in the birthing ward over here at St. Joe's, but God's going to make it happen. So we pick up this story. We need to understand this. And you're going, why is this word circumcision repeating over and over at church? You're a little uncomfortable. Let's just get the story straight. It's in Genesis 17 when God gives them this sign. And we'll see why this makes sense and why it matters to us. So it says, when Abraham was 99 years old, still hasn't had the promised child. It says, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram, don't miss that part. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. He says, I am committing myself to be God of you and your people. He says, and I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said, said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So he said, I want you to do this to mark and to demonstrate that you are my people, that we have a promise. So this is where it enters in. It says, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house, and so on. So he says, that's the thing. I want you to do it, and do it to your offspring and to your kids. And that's where it enters uh, our story, is right there. So let's get back to this whole issue of the problem. (laughs) Is the blessing of God, is the grace of God, is this blessing we just saw in verses 7 and 8, where it said that It's blessed to have your sins forgiven. It's blessed that God doesn't count anything against you. Who's it for? Is it only for the ethnic descendants of Abraham who practice circumcision, or is it for the uncircumcised everyone else? That was the question. Who gets access to the blessing of God? Who's it for? So uh, we jump here. We need to, here we go, understand the problem. The problem was circumcision was viewed as necessary to receive God's blessing. You had to have the physical right. And this became a problem all through the early church. You can read about it in Acts 15. It almost brought a whole church split. They're going, no, if you're going to follow God, you have to enter in and become ethnically Jewish. You need to take circumcision, and then you're blessed. And they're going, no, no, no. Is that really necessary? And it became a collision. Who can be blessed by God? Is this external step necessary? And this is the challenge here. Remember, Paul's Jewish, and he's dealing with a Jewish and Gentile audience. So there's this collision point. That's the problem, right? It's viewed as necessary. And so it leaves Gentiles left out, or it puts this in front of us that the way we access God is this external 
act. So that's the problem being identified in verse 9. Who's this for? Who can have access to God? Who can be blessed by God? And he's looking at the story of Abraham. So the solution is that it's always been faith. It's always been about faith. That's what Paul's trying to tie this whole section to the fact that God's man, Abraham, who he picked, he accessed God's blessings by faith, and it's still by faith. So look at Romans 4, 9. Is this, who is it? He says in the second half there, for we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. We saw that last week. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he'd been circumcised? It was not after, but before. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So he's going back to the original story and he's saying, listen, the reason God blessed Abraham wasn't because of what he did. It was because he trusted him. Then he said, this son, this was added later. It came after in the order of the events we read. Genesis 12 was first, then Genesis 15. And the circumcision doesn't even come in until Genesis 17. But it was in Genesis 15 that he had faith and said, I believe what you say, God. So then he says, well, what's this whole business about? He said, the circumcision is a sign and a seal. It's a sign and a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. So a sign is an external marker of being God's covenant people. Now, why he picked that as a sign, you know, I don't know. Kind of, I, that's just what he chose to do. We might say a sign that we might know today, it's like a wedding ring. Right? If you're wearing a ring on this certain finger, most likely it's because you're married. Or maybe it had been married and your spouse is gone, but it's a sign of the wedding. This isn't the wedding. This isn't the marriage vows. It's a sign. It's a reminder. It's a promise. It's something you look to and go, oh yeah, I made those vows. It points to something else. Signs point to something. So the sign of circumcision pointed to the fact that they were God's covenant people believing him. But he's saying it's not the thing. It points to the thing. Just like wearing a ring isn't the thing. It points to the thing. The other one is it's a seal. It confirms an identity. It marks something as genuine. So he said the circumcision was a sign and a seal. If you have ever had to do this, but you need, if you, so there's certain things when you're registering for certain government things or passports, and you need a sealed birth certificate, not the photocopy in your drawer, right? You know the difference with a, a birth certificate and a sealed birth certificate? It means it's got a marker on it that is sometimes they're raised. They'll stamp it. This is just a picture off the internet. They'll put it in this thing, and it pushes up, it pushes up that part. You can see the, the indent. That has been sealed. That means someone at the public health office records looked at the documents, looked at you, saw and said, yep, you really were born. You're really alive. It really happened in this hospital. This is a legitimate certificate of your birth. You're like, well, I'm standing here, aren't I? I got here somehow, but like, no, no, we have to seal it. Now you are really born. But that it doesn't count. Sometimes those won't be recognized unless they have the seal on it. It's been officially stamped or marked by the official at the office. So he's saying the circumcision was a sign. It pointed to God's covenant with him and a seal. They really are God's people. 
They were signed and sealed. It was genuine. So he's saying, you got to get the order right. That's what Paul's saying. You got to get the order right. First, you have faith. Then you have the sign and the seal. Faith comes first. We don't access God by the sign, by the seal, by an external thing. That's not how we come to God's blessings. We trust God. We have faith in God. Then those other steps come in. Verse 11 said, He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. He's saying the faith came first. The faith was first. So the, so the solution is that it's always been about faith. It's always been about believing God. As far back as you go in the Old Testament, right up to today, we access God by faith, not by religious acts, not by signs, not by seals, not by markers, by faith. And so we get to this main point we've been saying, everyone can receive God's blessing by faith alone. Everyone can receive God's blessing by faith alone, right? He, he received the sign. We saw that in verse 11. Verse 12 it says, the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. So he's saying this whole thing that God set up to have Abraham believe first and be declared righteous was to make him the father of all who believe, not just the Jewish people. He says, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. This is where we all have access to God's blessing, to the promises of Abraham. We all have that because it was through faith. Everyone. This is getting that everyone piece in there. So you might ask a question. This is beyond what this text is doing, but I want to ask it. Do we have a sign and a seal for our faith in Jesus Christ? Some of you are very thankful it's not the Old Testament sign and seal. Glad that's not part of the program. But what do we do? Do we have markers? Do we have external things that we do that demonstrate that we have faith and that we are sealed in Christ? Do we have signs and seals? And the answer is Yes. So what do we got? We've got Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 talk about this. Let me just get there real quick. And this is beautiful. I'm going to do the seal first. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, notice that you heard and then you believed, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Did you hear that? It's the same words. When you heard and believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So first he's saying the thing that happens to you, did we ever get onto that one? Okay, not there yet. Okay. Um. When you put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and the seal is not a big stamp at the public uh, health department. It's that he puts his very own Holy Spirit in you and says, you are genuinely mine. The third member of the, Holy Sp- of, the, of the Trinity is called God the Spirit, and believers in Christ receive the Spirit through faith in Jesus And it's not just that he's the helper. It's not just that he comes in and fills you. It's that it's also a mark saying, you're mine, and we saw there, 
and I'm coming back for you. Right? Until we receive the inheritance, he says, I put some of my spirit in you because you are mine and I will be coming for you and you will not be left out. So that was the first, that's the seal. When you come to Christ, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. You are genuinely and authentically his. And then there's also this sign. I know I did in reverse order, but Colossians 2 verse 8 talks about it. It says, see that no one takes you captive by philosophy Empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. He's saying, basically, see that nobody puts steps in front of you saying, you have to do these steps to find favor with God. He's saying, don't let anybody do that to you, and not according to Christ. It has to be about faith in Christ. He says, for in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him, now listen to this, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, right? Not a physical act, without hands, by putting off of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. When you come to Christ, he says, we're made new. We're given a new heart. It's not a physical thing that happens to you. You are spiritually circumcised or cleansed or made new in Christ. He does it. Having been, and now here's the link, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So there's the link to the sign. He's saying when you put your faith in Christ, he does a spiritual circumcision to you, and the sign is linked right there to baptism. When we do water baptism, we go down into the water, signifying that you're joining the death of Jesus. And when you come up out of the water, it signifies that you've been raised to life with Jesus. So the baptism is the sign. The sign of our faith, the outward thing that we say to people is that we've been baptized. Our faith in Christ, we're being baptized to join with him, to identify with him, to be symbolic of our death and resurrection. That's the sign. The seal that's saying you are genuinely mine is the Holy Spirit. So that's where it goes today for believers in Christ. Our sign is baptism. Our seal is the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let's come in back in here to verses 4, 11, and 12. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe, that we can enter into that faith without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised, so of the Jews, who are not merely circumcised. That's very important. It wasn't that Jews obeyed the law and were circumcised and received God's blessing, and Gentiles have faith and receive the blessing. He's saying, no, it's for both. To make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised. It means only, alone, all by itself saying that's not what brings God's blessing. If you're only circumcised, if, you're, if that's the only thing you've done is the outward act, he's saying, but also who walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham, uh, Abraham had before he was circumcised. He's saying the external act alone doesn't bring the blessing of God. You need to walk in the faith of Abraham. So whether you're a Jew and you're raised as an ethnic Jew and you follow the eighth-day circumcision for the males and you do all the outward feasts, he's saying all that's 
alone doesn't bring you into the blessing of God. You have to imitate, that's what walk, imitate the faith of Abraham. And if you're not a Jew and you're a Gentile, you imitate the faith of Abraham, believing in Christ. And so faith comes first as the sign and as the seal. We have faith, then comes the sign where we would be baptized and the Holy Spirit fills you and we say that's the mark of our genuine faith. So everyone, everyone can receive the blessing of God by faith alone. So here's the thing. It's this idea of are we pretending or are we playing? So this is a story of Caden, who sleeps through all my sermons. We'll see if he wakes up. But Cade is my uh, 16-year-old son up here. And uh, one of the things that he loves is music. Yeah, he woke up, didn't you? So uh, he has an iPod, and he puts on the earphones, and he loves music, and he loves to sing, I'll call sing, sing to the music at the top of his lungs. And what he also would love to do is either have a guitar in his hands or sit at a piano and play the piano at the top of his lungs and fingers while singing. So he was pretending to be playing the piano. And it didn't sound anything like playing the piano if you were not inside the headphones. It just sounded like crashing and banging and a, ah, woo, ah. And we could tolerate it for so long and then he had to stop. But this last year, Caden's been getting piano lessons from a friend of ours, a neighbor named Liam. And Liam's actually been teaching him to play the piano. So yesterday, he put on the headphones, and he's been learning some of the songs he likes to listen to, and he was actually playing the songs, weren't you, Caden? Yeah, he was playing them, and it sounded like them. And it's very different. Pretending to play the piano sounds very different than actually playing the piano. He was really doing it, and it was beautiful. And that's this whole picture we just saw with Abraham. We can pretend to follow God. We can do some external religious things, thinking, and maybe we're thinking it'll make God in our favor. Maybe we're thinking it will make other people around us think we have faith. But he said, that's not the real faith. We can really play. We're really actually going to play this thing. This is real. And so he said, we're not pretending to follow God. We're not just imitating external signs. We actually really want to believe God. We want to imitate not the outward acts of Abraham. We want to imitate the faith of Abraham who believed God when it made no sense. Who believed God. So it's not pretending. We're actually playing. We're actually trusting God. That's the thing we want to imitate is the faith of Abraham, not the acts. So the question is, are you relying on externals? And it can be easy to do. It can be easy to start trusting God and then start relying on ourselves or what we've done. Or maybe you've never known Christ. Like, well, my parents went to a church. Well, my parents had me dedicated. Well, they had me infant baptized. And so I, I have checked that box. No, no, that's not the faith of Abraham. That might have been the faith of your parents. It might have been their good intention. But have you believed? Maybe you think, I come to this building every week. And I walk in the door every week. Have you believed? Each one has to decide, has Jesus really come in the flesh? Is he really the son of God? Did he really die on that cross for my sins and walk out of that tomb on the third day? And is he really raised to the right hand of the Father? You have to really believe. It's not an external thing. It's not something that anyone else can do. You have to have faith, the faith of Abraham. 
So you have to ask, am I relying on something external, something that someone else believes or something that someone else has done, something that's on the outside, I'm wearing the cross necklace, or do I really trust Jesus? Have you expressed your faith in baptism as a believer? We hold to a believer's baptism, meaning you need to be old enough to mentally, cognitively understand what Jesus has done and that you're trusting him. So whatever that age is, sometimes, I don't know, the bottom end of we've done is maybe seven, eight, or nine on the young end for kids where we think, yep, and then up through any age of adults. So a believer's baptism means that you've mentally, emotionally put your faith in Christ. You say, I believe in him, and I want the outward sign to be publicly baptized. So if you haven't, we can help you. If you're new to this church, you might not realize behind these trees that curtain lifts up and we have a baptismal. We would love to be a part of you saying, you know, it's t- I want to be baptized. I want to publicly declare. I want the sign that I trust Jesus to be publicly declared in water baptism. If that's something you're interested in, you can talk to me after. You can go to that QR code with your phone and there's a place in there, I want to be baptized, and we'll get in touch with you, and we'll, someone will meet with you and make sure that you do understand the gospel, that you do have faith, and then we'll schedule you to get baptized. And we have this thing we have not used yet. Sven, when our uh, hot water tank went out last year, had a tankless hot water, an endless hot water tank. This will be the warmest baptism in the history of this church. <laughs> and I'm not joking. And our friends from Resonate Church who were baptized the day it broke in freezing water will really be jealous. But, uh, so seriously, you could be baptized in the warmest baptism we've ever had. If that's something you're sensing, you know, I need to do that. Whether you're a teen, whether you're an adult, whether you're 90, it doesn't matter. It's time to say, you know what, I want to publicly declare my faith. I want you, if you are a follower of Jesus, to be assured that you are sealed in Christ by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we wonder. Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes we fail. Sometimes we've been through a long season of drought, a long season maybe of disobedience, and you're coming back. When he gives you his Holy Spirit, right, he's saying, you're mine. This is legit. I give my spirit to my children, right, who all are sons of God. We receive the spirit by which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit is that, that seal in us. We're really His kids. Maybe you just need to hear that today. If you've put your trust in Christ, you put your faith in Him, He's given you His Holy Spirit, you are actually His. He will not leave you. He will come and get you. He has prepared a place for you for eternity. You will be with Him. You will receive the inheritance with Christ. You're actually His. Be assured of that. And then finally, we just need to keep walking in faith. The same reason you trusted Jesus the first time is the same reason you trust him today. We believe what he says. We believe who he is. We believe what he says about who we are. Sometimes we start believing lies. I've trusted Jesus. I have his spirit. And then you just start beating yourself up. But I fail and I'm terrible and I'm a no good Christian. No, 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 no. That's not what he says. He says, you're my child. He says, I put my spirit in you. He says, you're new in Christ. He said, I've made you righteous. He says, you're going to inherit my blessing. So we've got to keep believing that truth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for your salvation. Let us really live out by faith, not pretend, not put on the externals, but in the depth of our soul, we want to trust in you.
I pray for any who have been trusting in something that isn't you. Would you draw them to yourself by faith this morning? Would they have the courage to declare they trust your word and they trust your son right now? Or we pray for any who need to make it public in baptism. Or you give them the courage to reach out and say, we need to do this. And Lord, we pray for those who are just feeling beat up and discouraged. Would you give them an overwhelming assurance that, that you are in them, that they are sealed, they are genuinely your children whom you've adopted. Lord, help us to keep walking by faith, to keep trusting everything you say and everything you have done and will do and everything you've put down in your word for us. Give us the ability to just keep trusting. When it doesn't look like it, when it looks impossible, when it's something we've prayed about for years, we would just keep trusting. And we thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.